1: Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrantz, palpocyclib. Ibrand's 125-milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR-positive HER2-NBC negative as the first hormonal-based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrantz and visit ibrantz.com. tests, diarrhea, hair thinning, or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite.
4: This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school, you're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
5: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
6: I'm Erica Alexander. And I'm Whitney Dow. Welcome to Reparations, The Big Payback, a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network.
0: So here we are. Yeah, here we are. Back in the saddle.
6: Back in the saddle. I'm glad we came back here to celebrate our big premiere of the Big Payback documentary. I mean, we've come full circle.
0: Absolutely. It's really exciting to be back here talking about this. I mean, when I met you, what, three and a half, almost four years ago, the idea that we'd be now here four years later talking about the premiere of the documentary, that we would have done a podcast and are now doing a follow-up episode to the podcast, I wouldn't have believed it. But uh it certainly has been quite a year.
6: It's been a big year, and so congratulations to us, dude, and to everyone who worked on it. It's been a real push to get here. I have a hernia to prove it. Actually, I'm not kidding about that. I do, but <laughs> anyway, I'm excited to talk about our film. But before we do, let's talk about what you've been doing since we've been gone all this time. What have you been up to?
0: As I said, it's been a pretty intense year. You know, uh, if I look about, you know, here we are in January. Last January, we were pushing to finish the end of the film, uh, wrapping mm. it up. Scoring it, mixing it, coloring it, getting it ready for Tribeca, launching at Tribeca. Uh, that big uh, show that we did at the Apollo Theater in New York, which was so Big much Apollo. Fun. That
6: was sexy. Wasn't that great?
0: That was one of my, my favorite events. Free event on Juneteenth, the big payback at the Apollo Theater. That was a lot of fun. It's
6: pretty awesome. Very awesome. And to the people who came out on Father's Day, by the way, to do that. That was great.
0: They came out for me.
6: No, they came out for Robin Bruce Simmons, but that's another story. It's all good, though.
0: <laughs> and yeah, so then, as you know, I'm working on another film uh, with another director on White Sharks. I know that that's sometimes, well, you you, know, you think a lot about White Sharks, <laughs> both, both the finned kind and the two-legged kind. But this is about the finned yes. kind that we're doing for, for, uh, for a major streamer. And yes. um, I, you know the project I was working on a Korea, so I'm uh, doing that. Mm-hmm. Kids going back to school. Kids coming out of school, coming back home, which is uh, always like a challenge. You're a papa. A papa. right. Three times over. And um, now what's so exciting, we're getting ready for the broadcast and streaming launch of our film, Mm -hmm. The Big Payback, on PBS is Independent Lens.
6: That's right. Really excited about that. I've been busy too, you know, I mean. Well, you're always busy. I've been too, I've been busy
0: too, you know. Yeah, you're always busy. When I look at my messages, Erica, they're (laughs) all like Erica Alexander's assistant. And it's like, who's like doing your, Sean, who's doing your schedule.
6: Well, listen, I appreciate hard work, and to do this, I think it's important that people understand that we're doing all of these things while we live life, and we have really Let's get a rundown careers. of what you've been doing over the okay, last year. Okay, if I were Jamaican, they'd be proud of me because I've had several jobs. I've had several jobs. Check this. I've done four television series, five movies, including co-directing The Big Payback With You, another audio series. We did really well with that, among a ton of other things to survive. I even got a chance to watch a few movies. You know, I actually go out and do that. I'm a little tired just thinking about it.
0: The Renaissance woman. But
6: um, I am. And by the way, since then, the world has moved. Congress, they've even had another attempt at an insurrection, kind of, you know, McCarthyism. Can you believe that? That's freaky. <laughs> yeah. Our
0: latest export to Brazil, McCarthyism.
6: <laughs> yes, how to storm a capital? This is nuts. It just shows you how connected the United States is, the world, how influential it is. It really matters what happens here.
0: Absolutely. Just, I just want to go back to one thing. I just wanted to get your thoughts on what it was like after three and a half years to see that film in the theater for the first time.
6: It was a beautiful moment. My mother came in for it and our friends, and it also was my directorial debut with you. And so I have to thank you because you taught me a lot about directing films and specifically documentaries and how to manage the process. You know, I have a lot to learn in those areas. But I was just proud that after everything that happened in 2020 and just everything we had to do, including different podcasts, we were there and we were in that moment. And I thought I looked really sexy too. But I was—I didn't think in the moment that I really took it in like I should have. But afterwards, there was a lot of you know deep thoughts and a lot of grateful gratitude thoughts. I loved that. What about you? How did you feel?
0: My favorite moment, you know, you do this thing for a lot of different reasons, but my favorite moment uh, since we launched the film was, I think, I don't know if you remember the second screening at Tribeca. A woman got up. She was in tears. She said, I I feel like I just watched the Super Bowl and black people won. Boom. And I, that was like the nicest compliment anybody's ever given me about a movie we, I've made. So that was really exciting.
6: Wow, that's a great moment. I mean, you know, it's beautiful to have those moments, but we have to really deal with the fact that if we can't even stop the swarm in Congress of people breaking windows and doing those type of things. And we thought there would be a lot of goodwill after the public lynching of George Floyd. It doesn't seem to have have a a lasting effect. And I'm not being cynical when I say a murder seems to get you like two years of progress. And that's not funny. Ha ha. That's like funny queer. Like what gives? Why the violence swings? What do white people want? What, What will it take for white folks to stop being day trippers to a struggle of blacks in America? And how can we get is going.
0: You know, it's funny because I think I have sort of two feelings about Erica. One in that I'm both exalted and disappointed and exalted in the sense that I had people in my life, white people in my life, talking to me about race um, in a way they never had during 2020, in ways I never thought they would in 2020. And so it was so exciting to finally see a big group of white Americans for the first time actually grappling with their relationship to race. The disappointment, uh, of course, comes from what you said, you know, it fades, it does fade, but that's always what it is, right? Two steps forward and nine-tenths steps back. But... You still have to like say, okay, well, I think we did get that 0.1, you know, 10% forward.
6: Yeah, we keep offering excuses. And I think another excuse can't cut it after 400 years of no action on reparations. I mean, we have nurses going on strike. That means people aren't getting what they need on a basic level inside of America, which should would be able to at least guarantee health care. I mean, reparations is a piece of it, but we have so many things going on.
0: Eric Alexander, optimist.
5: Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take iBrands, Palpal Tests, diarrhea, hair thinning, or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite.
3: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
0: As I said you know earlier, I do really feel the fact that when we started this project, HR 40 had been in committee for 30 years. Now it's 32 years, never getting a vote. Our film covers them finally having a debate, agreeing to debate H.R. 40 the reparations bill in the Judiciary Committee and voting it out of committee after markup to take it to the floor. So whenever you look around and feel depressed, there is progress being made. Is it enough? No. But I do feel like that, you know, we've moved the ball a little bit.
6: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's, I guess, something. Well, while we were doing other things in these talks, I was invited to address the NAACP about storytelling, of all things.
0: Well, you are a storyteller.
6: I am. And I caught up to them in Baltimore, Maryland, and they were having their staff retreat there. So I got a chance to talk to their executives, questions about reparations when the big kahuna, Derek Johnson, steps out live and in living color. So I took that chance to get his take on whether this was really the right moment for reparations in America. And what did he say? He had a whole lot to say. He was in a hurry, by the way. So (laughs) you know he was multitasking. He kind of stopped and Chopped it up with me. But yeah, he was he was on. He even gave a quick shout out to the pioneers in this movement.
7: Well, Derek Johnson, president and CEO of the NAACP. Reparation is an important question that we must address in this country for African-Americans. Anytime you've had state sanctioned, this nation sanctions harm against our community, whether it's segregation, slavery, redlining or elimination out of the financial systems, we must make whole all of the families and the descendants who have been impacted. But reparation is also a global question. Because global companies have also exploited the continent of Africa, exploited African people and displaced us in ways in which we have been paralyzed in terms of our future aspirations. So we are now positioned to do something about it. The NAACP, when Congressman Conyers began to stir up this question around reparations through H.R. 40, but the NACP supported the Republic of New Africa was a part of the group in Detroit at that time who began to push for this question. Ron Daniels have been on the front line of this. Amari Baraka, Shokwe Lumumba. So it's very important for us to not only recognize the fight that's in front of us to understand how we got to this place.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think that in order to understand the present, you always need to understand the past. And I think that the context of the story, so many people don't really understand the context of the story. And that's something that we really tried to do with the film is to show that this moment that uh, where H.R. 40 gets passed out of committee, where Robin Ruth Simmons finally passes a tax-funded reparations bill in Evanston, Illinois, it's a point on a continuum. It's not a point in time. And I think it's really important to understand that and understand what it means.
6: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there have been a lot of folks who've tried to pull this bad boy up the mountaintop. But it's like taking a trip with the Grinch Who Stole Christmas after he stole all the toys and he's sitting on the mountain peak watching the sunrise. Remember poor Max's dog is exhausted from hauling their sleigh up the hill? I do. I do. Nah, so, okay. But so, yeah, you get the point. I do. Get so the point. so
0: who, who's the dog in this in, the, in this scenario, and who's the Grinch sitting on the sled with the, all the presents? I don't want to know be the answer. White to that. Folks. I don't want to know the answer to that. Let's, I think we got to move. You on.
6: know the answer. They look like you. They've got all the gifts, and they're watching everybody suffer in Town. But you know, black people continue to to move on and get things done, and that's a beautiful thing. But that's a Christmas tale, the Grinch and all that. I mean, Derek Johnson also had a few things to say about the state owning the responsibility toward reparations.
7: You think about Dr. King's book, Why We Can't Wait. In his chapter to the days to come, he didn't call it reparations, but what he was advocating for, for the state, the nation, to make whole African-Americans, or what he called the GI Bill for Poor People. A GI Bill that was similar to what they gave to World War II veterans, but do it to individuals who've been displaced in ways out of the workforce because of mechanizations, individuals who were discriminated against because of race, poor white folks who have been exploited as well. Even Dr. King, if you read that chapter, talks about the need for this nation through public policy to address the harms to injuries of African Americans and other individuals. I am absolutely in, in support of reparations. We have to do it. Decisively, we have to do it smartly and we need to be clear and not create internal fights around the question and know that anytime you have state-sponsored harm, there should be state sponsors repair that's called reparations.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree that the state owns it, but the idea that there's um, not going to be fight and argument and discussion around such a complex project, I think, is just not realistic. I mean, that was one of the things that really, really, really was my education in making this film, is that, you know, in some ways it's easier on the white side, because if you believe you you can just advocate for reparations, right? Say, so I think this nets. but on the black side, actually being what it is, who gets it, in what form, in what amount – these are really serious, complex questions. And so the idea that it's there's not gonna be, you know, a d- debate around the question or fight around the question is just that's almost be un American, right? To like actually not to, to, to not fight about something.
6: Yeah, but you know, speaking of which, you know, we never really talked about who's in this film. You just mentioned it the alder woman, Robert Bruce Simmons, had these type of conversations and internal debates, didn't she?
0: Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, when you, when you watch the film, you'll see it's not just all white people are against reparations. There's a lot of white people for reparations. Not all black people are for reparations. There's a lot of black people against reparations. There's also black people who think, who who don't agree on Pan African reparations versus Eidos reparations. It's a really complicated equation. And one of the things I really admire about Robin and what I hope people can see in the film is that in some ways she made a complicated problem simple two ways. The first thing she did is she got people who agreed that reparations were needed. And people would say, without deciding, agreeing what that was, she agreed that the money had to be earmarked for it. And the second thing is she created a process that led to an understanding of what the reparations in her community were needed. And it became sort of this logical road to reparations for um, housing discrimination.
6: Right. And then they dealt with Everything that happened with that, they had a great historian to help them figure out what's going on. It's going to be that way each time you go into a, a different city. They got to figure out what can be done locally and what people are really interested in addressing, right?
0: Yeah. That's hopefully, again, the lesson of the film is that every community is going to be different the way it approaches it. How reparations are done in Evanston is going to be different than it has going done in Detroit, San Diego, Jackson, Mississippi there's not a direct line between slavery and every community. There's a line, but sometimes it's a squiggly line. It's connected to different things. And especially when you start talking about the legacy of slavery and the embedded structure that kept Black people from participating fully in both civic life and building wealth through uh, American capitalism, it's in some form in every community, and hopefully that people can see that this is a model for how to get to what that is, and then a model for how to come up with a solution, how to address it.
6: Speaking of models, we should talk about Sheila Jackson Lee. Sheila Jackson Lee, (laughs) while uh, all this was going on, has officially called for an executive order, something that Biden would sign to bring HR 40 about, and we could get on with the study. Tell us what HR 40 is again.
0: HR 40 is uh, a bill to study slavery and its legacy, how it's impacted black Americans and make appropriate remedies, recommend appropriate remedies for dealing with those injuries and how to repair them. But it's just a study bill. It's not a bill that earmarks money. It's not mm-hmm. a bill that says who gets it. It's not a bill that says how much. And this is what's always been so confusing about the resistance HR 40. It's just a bill to talk about it. And there's still huge resistance.
6: Right. And so I asked Derek Johnson, president of the NAACP, whether he supported an executive order for H.R. 40.
7: But we would like to see the language of the executive order. But I think all efforts are important to move in this direction. I'm also watching what is taking place in San Francisco, what is taking place in the state of California when they put together that commission. Dr. Amos Brown, our San Francisco branch president, is a part of leading that effort. So we're seeing these type of efforts not only efforts in Evanston, Illinois, but across the country, because we recognize that that the government has created impediments and barriers for African Americans to truly live out what we call an American dream and we need to ensure that communities, families
6: are made whole because of those impediments. See, that's great. He loves an executive order too, but he's interested in the language of it. And I think that's a big deal. Everybody's now saying that down for Biden to bring about an executive order for HR 40.
0: And I think that that's really the only way that this is going to get done in the next couple of years, especially now with the Republican House, is that even though. Representative Jackson Lee had the votes. She had the votes to pass it out of the House. The leadership, and as much as I love Nancy Pelosi, did not bring it to the floor. And I think they did not bring it to the floor because they were afraid of the midterms. And so now with the House in the hands of the Republicans, the mm. only way that H.R. 40 is going to happen now is through an executive
6: order. That's right. And that's why my next question to Derek Johnson was very important. Did he think that reparations would happen in our lifetime? Freedom is a constant
7: struggle. So it's not about what we see, it's about what we do to make sure we are part of this continuum to ensure that our future is a future of freedom and a way in which our ancestors only dream for.
0: Wow. You know what that makes me think about, Erica? Is that it also, it's not only what our ancestors would dream of, I also feel like it's what you and my contemporaries would dream of, to actually
3: mm-hmm.
0: live in a world where reparations has taken place. And then you and I, and I think, all black and white americans could have a different relationship with the other and actually build towards something much more cohesive now so it's not just ancestors i think it's also for us as well
6: of course and that's what we're talking about it's that freedom must be a reality but in our building of what reparations could provide for the world it's all a dream right now and That word dream and hope and all these things keep coming up when we talk about reparations, which I think is kind of beautiful because it says that we're striving for something. But it's also mixed with the hard facts of what I think my people deserve. So that's why we have so many, I think, wide swings, you know, people who are for it and people who are against it. But right in the middle there is freedom and dream and all the beautiful things we say we can be in America. But you know what? We're always going to come up against the obstacle. And the obstacle right now is that we need help from white people.
0: Didn't you ask him about that?
6: You know, Whitney, I did ask him that. I wondered how could we build a coalition with white folks? And he had a good answer for it.
7: Be focused on public policy and not be distracted by tribalism and othering. Othering is a distraction around the questions of public policy. And if we are focused on public policy, if we are up to uphold that social contract we call the Constitution, it's not a one-community responsibility, it's a joint responsibility of all citizens of this country, and therefore we must build coalitions.
4: You know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu. From BBC
2: Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast,
7: is going on a road trip.
6: Coalitions. Everyone always says that word, coalitions. What is a coalition? What's a white coalition? In fact, what's a coalition? Damn.
0: A coalition, the way I think about it, is it's a group that shares goals but don't necessarily share motivations. And so you have to learn
6: how well done, Whitney,
0: (laughs) how to find people that you share goals with, and the idea, your motivations are kind of irrelevant. And I think there's so much time people focus on who we are and where we're coming from. I can work with you towards something that we both agree is important without necessarily completely understanding you or your experience. And I think that's what's really critical in this is that white Americans and black Americans who mean well and want reparations are moving towards it for two very different reasons.
6: Okay, I think that's interesting because Robin Rue Simmons, who's an alderwoman in Evanston, had to make a coalition among the council people. Was It was um, five white council people to three black, but they got it through. And that was the amazing thing. That's coalition building, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what I said, is that the people of the fifth ward and the people of the third ward have very different motivations for wanting to get it done. But they did come together and get it done.
6: That's cool. That's what we need more of.
0: That Now you're getting all like warm and fuzzy on me. So, <laughs> you're gonna start seeing an imagine soon.
6: Oh, really? <laughs> well, hopeful. I guess that's optimistic. Yeah. You know, the thing that they get the biggest pushback for, and there are people in this film that thought that they weren't responsible for what happened in the past, and why should they be held responsible for it? And so, what's the answer to that when white people say that? And I got a chance to ask Derek Johnson this question because. I think that's what people struggle with is how do you answer that in a modern day that people who live here, whether they came after slavery or live now because they were born after slavery, have any responsibility for the past, wrong or right? And uh, I think he had a really good answer on it.
7: We keep pushing because our truth is the truth and the truth is what we need to step on and stand on firmly to ensure that we are made whole as a community for our future.
0: You know. Those are really nice sentiments, and I agree that we have to keep pushing for the truth. But I also think that sometimes focusing on responsibility about the past is not the question. It's not about responsibility for the past. It's about responsibility to the present. And that I think if you say, okay, I'm responsible for this thing that happened. No, you're responsible for the conditions of the community that you live in now. And if you believe that things are unjust and you want to change it, then you have to come together and work for change.
6: Yeah, but it's white people are saying that and they don't believe that there's have any relationship to what you just said.
0: No, but I think that they're that's because I think they're focusing on the wrong thing. They're saying, "Oh, this is in the past. They're not looking at the problem now and saying, you know, whether or not I created that, I live in this unequal present. And if I believe in justice, I need to address the injuries that exist from the past now if I want a better future.
6: Right. I think that's going to be a hard sell no matter how you put it because if people don't think they're affected by the past at all and they're doing something for the people who so-called are affected by it, I don't think they realize that they have been injured and that there's injury to themselves and their future, their family, and everything around them is being pulled down because we haven't addressed it. And that's what I'd say to white people is that if you don't think you're being affected by the past, you are, if you're seeing systemic things happening in the society that you think are just affecting people based on whether they're just newly here or they have a different color or there might just be inequity and inequality baked into every society, you're not really understanding how systems work. That if one part of the population is being affected unjustly, and you can't look at the systemic issues or what caused it and say, you know, we have a responsibility to address it no matter who did it. Then you also aren't looking at how this thing might affect you. And I think over and over again, if we look at the cities, if we look at the things that happen inside of rural areas, if we look at all sorts of things that African-Americans have issue with, we'd see that they are overwhelmingly affecting the lives of all Americans. And we have to see ourselves not only in this fight for other people, but in a fight for our own lives.
0: If you see someone drowning, Erica, you don't not help them because you don't think you're responsible for them fully. And maybe you pushed them in, maybe you didn't. But the fact is that that person is part of your community and needs help. And by you taking that action, you will be doing something not only for them, but for you. And if you don't take action, I think you will continue to exacerbate your own injury. I know that sounds really weird and kind of like, uh, you know, counterintuitive, but yeah, if you don't take action, you injure yourself.
6: Absolutely. And I also think over and over again, black people have been trying to save white people from themselves. And I know that's a harsh thing to say, but the drowning person is not the black person, it's the white person. You get a chance to save yourself. And if you think that the other person is drowning and you're not, trust and believe, it is you drowning. Black people are used to doggy paddling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and floating on our backs. You know, the, the weird part is, and I love the water metaphor maybe because that's what Martin Luther King said. He says, we might have gotten here on different ships, but we all in the same boat now. And that's real.
0: <laughs> so to sort of like bring this, you know, back around, Eric, I guess the thing is, is that, we're at the end of this particular journey, right? The particular journey of this film. And in some ways, you arbitrarily end a story, right? You, we arbitrarily ended this story at a particular moment in time, but the story goes on. And um really excited for people to see this film, and I'm even more exciting to see where Robin, where Representative Jackson Lee, and where the movement goes next.
6: That's true. But you know what? Unfortunately, like a really great film... This is a franchise, so it, this film has not ended. now. This is part one, <laughs> and I love that you said that this film is not just a film, it's a tool, and people are using it to have conversations and to build their own reparations programs within cities. They're also able to talk about it and screen it, and we're doing a debate series that people should know about, and we're really excited about that. This debate series called The Big Payback will go through HBCUs and predominantly white institutions, and all over American communities, and we'll be able to talk about something that people for a long time have been afraid of and thought was controversial, but we're able to normalize discussing reparations and see if we can get the help of the best minds and stoke the fires about this and get in there and really have some um, ownership of it. And so that's why I'm excited. This thing has been great. It's been great doing it with you. Thank you so much for your hard work. And I think we should give a really great shout out to The filmmaking team.
0: Ben, Arnon, we could not do without you. Zan Parker.
6: Zan Parker. uh, Margaret,
0: Melissa, Chris, Kevin. I mean, there's been so many people who made this film, possibly. And also, the thing I would ask you, where can people get more information?
6: Oh, they should go to thebigpaybackmovie.com. They should also go to firstrepair.org, Robin Rue Simmons organization. If they're interested in doing something in their city, there's going to be a full discussion guide about the film and also how to make it happen yourself. I think that's cool. That's sexy. We always talk about the power of the biggest nation, which is imagination. And I think that's what we need to do right now in this moment is imagine a world and then make it happen. See you, Whitney. See ya. Reparations, The Big Payback, is a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network in association with Best Case Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
3: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.
1: Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.
3: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
4: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and
6: groom?
3: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of
6: time.
4: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Zumo Play.